0: And welcome to the Archimedes Podcast, the evidence based podcast of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, packed full of evidence based delight to help you take your journey through child health in a more research oriented fashion. Now, for those of you who are new to the podcast, you have got years of back listening with delight, with joy, with sound effects at times, with interviews, with all sorts of lovely things you can bury yourselves into but don't do it now. Do it after listening to this issue. This edition we will be covering something about evidence-based medicine, how to do it, how to understand it and a real clinical summary of the evidence around a particular question. So, Wouldn't it be lovely if we could all do evidence-based medicine, but without the effort of going through the whole process. You know, the ask a question. That might take an hour to do that. Acquire the information. Maybe a couple of hours in the library to sort that out. Appraise those papers that you find. Possibly 35-40 minutes for each of those. Maybe we're adding up to six hours or so now. And then do a synthesis and apply them in practice. Take a day or so to pull all that together, put it in the same implementation plan. Ugh. Now, if you're going to end up to go into all those lengths, you might as well write all that up as an Archimedes and submit it. Instructions are available off the website. But these pieces, the, the Archimedes pieces that you can read and hear the snippets of here, these are where somebody has already done it. Now, these are a shortcut to doing EBM in practice. There are even some shorter cuts too, if the resources exist in your area. Well-produced clinical practice guidelines, and you can tell if they're well-produced, either because there's a watermark for something like the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, or the National Institute for uh, Clinical Health and Excellence, or the Scottish Intercollegiate Guidelines Network, the the, the big guideline producers. These will give you answers to questions that you might not have even asked yet. And if the organisation isn't one that you know has got one of these extensive manuals and how to produce guidelines. You might have to do an appraise bit on the guideline, and there's a checklist called the agree to in numerals, uh, in Roman numerals. You might have to do that, but that will then give you the information that you'll need for all of those clinical questions. That's a great shortcut. Even easier than that, you might end up with a colleague who has actually written one of those guidelines so you just have to ask them. It's still EBM in the sense that you asked a question, acquired some information, appraised the source and thinking of applying it. It's just a modification of the way forwards. So if you ever get into that fed up flumpy feel where you think you can't do EBM, then grasp a hierarchical approach to making your life easier. Take on 2023 to think how can I shortcut my EBM or do I need to go the long route and if so why don't I submit it as an Archimedes. Now in the neonatal unit of the University Hospital's Birmingham NHS Foundation Trust in Birmingham of the UK, Rachel Yu Michelle Fleeman and Harsha Gowda did exactly that. They went through the system and came back with nobody's answered the question that we need answering. The scenario that they take is a 30-week gestation prem infant with respiratory distress on non-invasive ventilation but things are getting a little worse and they need to administer surfactant. They're going to use the LISA technique, less invasive surfactant administration. But the question arises, should you give pre-medication prior to this procedure? Pre-medication in order to make the baby more comfortable. The structured clinical question that comes out of that is, during LISA, less invasive surfactant administration in neonates, that's the patient group, is the use of pre-medication, the intervention, compared with done without the comparator intervention, associated with increased neonatal comfort, but considering the increased risk of complications such as desaturations, bradycardia and apnea. So is there a balance to be struck? The team went away and they looked at Medline, Ovid Embase, CINAHL and the Cochrane Library and they used a variety of keywords to try and draw together these sort of less invasive papers and then elements of pre-medication. They found 46 potential articles, scoured them down and put six in in total. Of these six papers two of them were randomised clinical trials and the others were cohort studies either prospective or retrospective. They ranged in size from 495, at the largest of the studies, down to only 30 or so in the smallest. The two RCTs were of 34 and 78 infants. The RCTs used various validated scores to try and look at sort of distress levels um, in the patients and used different things in terms of randomization, One premedicated with propofol, one with fentanyl of the cohort studies, there was another mixture of different things to be used. Some propofol, some a variety of different analgesics or sedatives, some straight up ketamine and atropine. So a big mixture of different approaches to pre-medication here. They mostly used techniques to measure comfort and distress as have been used in a number of different areas. So things like the Comfort NEO score or the RPIP score. Things that could reasonably be expected to give us a sort of report that if we did it again we would get the same information back again. They also looked at adverse events, and they looked at the the classic adverse events around uh, the period of intubation, or things being stuck down your ET tube, or things being stuck down your trachea, at least things like desaturation, uh, apneas, and the like. Pulling all of this together, they found that Despite there being quite a few infants here, it was a bit of a mess of data. The studies that were done prospectively or retrospectively didn't always have the most tightest way of collecting the information or analysing them, and that, that whole range of different techniques that they're using means that any conclusion that you come out with has to be a little bit muddy on the far side. What can we tell from putting all of this together? Well, their clinical bottom lines are that pre-medication use during less invasive surfactant administration certainly seems to reduce those distress scores during the procedure. But it does seem to increase the risk of adverse events occurring such as desaturation and apneas. And so their overall balance really is you have to take an individualised approach and, and discuss with the patients what are we going to do here. Actually, it's probably a bit of a waste of time discussing with the patients directly, maybe their families. There isn't an absolutely clear answer, as in the long term, what happens. But that's the way with most of medicine. We have come to the end of another month of Archimedesing. If you've been inspired by a question in your practice use that hierarchical approach and if it really hasn't been answered in an appropriate way then get on, get yourself an Archimedes and submit it according to the instructions. Who knows, you could be listening to something today and find the answer to the question that you needed or it could be that you are providing the answer for somebody else in a few months time. Good luck and we'll speak to you all next month.